Sorry. So you're a music artist with plans to take over the world, huh? Yeah, duh. That's why I'm here. Well, you've come to the right place. Let's go. Welcome to the I Am Northbound podcast. Podcast. Your guide to dominating the new music industry. What is up, y'all? How you doing? And welcome to another episode of I Am Northbound. Man, it is so good to be... Oh, look at that. <laughs> Excuse me. I started, uh, started recording and straight away my voice um, got a frog in my throat. I actually read a book recently um that was talking about the derivation of words and where they come from and the reason that we say got a frog in my throat is because back in medieval times they actually used to put frogs in people's throats to try to remove sickness anyway that's an interesting little tidbit and a good way to cover that it was such an atrocious start to the podcast but you know what we're all about keeping it real here you know so (laughs) i'm not gonna go back and do it again have you been how's everything in your world hopefully it's all great it has been like there, I don't know if you know about what's going on in specifically my state, but in Australia in general, but there is just bushfires everywhere. And it's absolutely crazy. Like surrounding my, you know, my area, I guess, like within about 50 kilometers is just constant bushfires. It's like we're just surrounded, like circled by them. And it's mean that like, if you, if you go to Google images right now and you type in venus surface photos like to see what it looks like on the surface of venus the planet that's exactly what it looks like outside my house and if you don't believe me if you think i'm exaggerating i can send you a photo because it is just it has been just yellow outside it because of all the smoke it's crazy uh, but anyway hopefully everyone's safe i mean it's so sad to hear there was a guy uh, in the local music scene in my town, uh, he lost everything in the fires, right? Like his whole house went and all his possessions. So there's been a couple of benefit shows being put on to raise money to help him get back on his feet, which is so cool to see the music industry come together like that. Music scenes, everyone's here to support one another, which is really good. But I mean, that's probably radically different. The reason I tell you that about the bushfires is because it's probably very different to where you live if you don't live in Australia because it's winter pretty much everywhere else and it's snowing. So it's kind of crazy. But anyway, um, I know I said I had the episode planned of like the, um, you know, the, the rules that I've learned that I think are like I can sum up all the books that I've read into five rules. Uh, but I want to put a little bit, usually when I do these podcast episodes, I kind of just get a topic and start talking about it. But I want to put a little bit more thought into that to make sure it's everything I want it to be because I've only really got one shot at that episode. So... I, you know, I can't exactly revisit it later unless I just add more rules to it, but whatever. I mean, like I'll do, that episode's definitely coming soon. It'll be out by the end of the year. But um, this week I want to, I've been editing um, some of the audiobook and I came across the chapter. I just finished the chapter actually on why you should care about the individual lives of your listeners. And I think that's such an important point that I just wanted to talk a bit about today. Um, if you've read my book, you'd know this chapter. If you haven't read my book, essentially, I mean, this is just like a tiny little slice of one, spe- little slice of one chapter. So, but it's like, uh, I, I talk about the fact that, that like how incredibly important it is to not consider yourself above your audience. Okay. It's not about thinking that you're on stage, uh, in, not just, you know, I know physically and literally you are on stage when you perform, but I'm talking about the way you view your audience, uh, not just you're looking down on them and they're just a sea of people. They're, they're made up of individual people with real lives that all like your music for different reasons. And the biggest way and the most, um, unbalanced way because it's it's like um irrational how much growth it can bring you know the the most the the most effective way of building true fans for your audience is by developing connection one of the best ways to build connection is just by 
like showing them attention, noticing the people that support you. It's really not that hard to do. Uh, but yeah, and not thinking that you're above your audience, but you are just another human. <laughs> Whether you like to hear that or not, you're not, uh, even if you are the next big thing for the music industry, you're still human that lives on earth and we're all the same. Okay. So there's, it's, it's not about being better than anyone. And a lot of people in crowds assume that the music artist do you think there's like slightly better than the crowd? Like you would think, oh, well, not. I, how would I say it without it sounding like you're assuming the music artist is like full of themselves? I mean it more so that they assume that you probably don't have time to talk to them. Like if you went and saw a music artist, you wouldn't assume that out of, out of the entire crowd that they'd want to talk to you. But if they, if you waited around after the show and they came out and spoke to you, you would love that artist so much for the rest of your life because they took time out of their day just to, you know, to get to know you. And you could be doing that for your crowd, regardless of how big you are. Like, it doesn't matter if you're playing to five people in a room or if you're playing to 50,000 in a stadium. Uh, meet the people that want to meet you after. I mean, that sounds crazy to think that could you do it on a level of, you know, five people sounds okay, but what if there was 50,000 people? You're not going to get 50,000 people wanting to meet you. Uh, but if, even if you play to show that big, but I want to tell you in a sec why it does work on that level. And it's really cool. This is something I don't go into my book, but just to get you up to speed, if you haven't read my book yet, um, I, t I talked to just a little story about how when I was 17, my best friend and I, he was like the bass player in my first band. Um, him and I, you know, I guess it's not, I, that is relevant, but anyway, uh, he and I found out that there was a rock show on at a local bar. And we really wanted to go. It was one of our favorite bands. And at this point, not many bands from the USA of this level would come out to Australia. It was usually you'd have to be quite big to, um, you know, play stadiums. It was to play small bars like this. The underground bands that we loved didn't really come out. And so, it was a big deal when one of them did because, you know, they weren't big enough to sell out stadiums. This venue was only like 150, 200 capacity, um, but they still came out. So, we're like, we've got, to, we've got to pay them attention. What's really funny is that I remember saying after that show that, I was like, I wonder if Fallout Boy will ever come to Australia because at that point, Fallout Boy, the only real song that people knew them for was Grand Theft Auto, which is like that one of the first pop punk songs they did or whatever from years ago. I can't remember now, but um, they were really underground and who knew that they were just going to blow up and just become, you know, the absolute monsters that they become. And then they did come out to Australia. I was right, but they ended up playing stadiums. Acer Arena, I think it was like 20,000 people because they were just that big. I thought they might play a little small underground show like this. But anyway, we found out that one of our favorite bands are playing and um, we wanted to go. But the issue was we were 17 and to get into a bar, you have to be 18 in Australia. And the tickets also cost, you know, it didn't help that they cost $45, which was a lot of money to us back then. I think, I mean, I might have only been making slightly more than that a week at that point. Um, or maybe I made a bit more, but a lot of it went to fuel for my car. You know, like we didn't have $45 to put towards one night. So, we were in a bit of a predicament. We didn't really know how to go about the, you know, go, attending the show, but we wanted to see this band because, what, you know, who knows that might not be, it might've been our only chance to ever to see them ever. Um, but so we went out to the, we drove into the bar that night and as we turned up, we're like, look, we think our best chance of like having anything to do with this night rather than try to sneak in and like do something illegal. Um, how about we just, you know, ask this security guard that's patrolling outside if we can just sit on this ledge that's near where she's patrolling and say, look, hey, we're not going to cause any problems whatsoever. We just want to listen to the bands, but you know, we're underage and we don't have money. Is it okay if we sit here on the ledge, if we promise not to cause any problems? 
And uh, I, so I walked up to her to say exactly that. And as I approached her, I realized that she was quite a, like a, a really harsh looking woman. She looks pretty tough and it looks like she's dealt with a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of kids like me coming up trying to like, um, cause problems. And I, ex I explained to her the situation and what we're looking to do. And I assured her that we wouldn't cause any problems. And she said, usually I'd say no, but turns out that the week prior, she just so happened to be doing security at the football stadium for the football game that was on. And, um, it just happened to be the week that my band, me and the bass player that I was with, uh, played at the stadium to open that game. And it was like, so it was meant to be right. So she was like, I remember seeing you guys there. Like I have no problems. Cause I know you guys, uh, but as long as you promise not to cause any problems. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. So we sat on the um, ledge and we didn't see much of the show. We could hear it quite well because we were like only a few meters from the actual venue, but it was like a glass wall. It was like a tiny little sliver of a glass wall. And all we saw while the show was on was like a little bit of a guitar headstock as someone walked past or their back or whatever. Like it was, uh, we didn't see much. But next to the, that little tiny little glass window was this green door. Now we didn't think too much of it over the course of the night, but after the set finished, we thought it was one of those like fire doors that never opened, but um, just unexpectedly it opened and out came four of the five members of the band that we were there to see. It was crazy. And like, we weren't in a crowd of people. We, there weren't other people outside. It was just us two and the security guard. And this band came straight out and we're like, oh my goodness, like this is crazy. Now, obviously I've always been the kind of person to give people their space. I'm not someone who will just run up to someone and be like, hey, you know, or at least it's very out of character for me to do that. Uh, but they couldn't help but notice us because we were just sitting on a ledge outside and they were like, hey, what are you guys doing? And we're like, um, you know, we explained the situation and <laughs> why we were sitting on a ledge and they thought it was really cool. And they were like, that's so good that you don't let money or your age hold you back from seeing our show. So we ended up talking to them for quite a while. Um, I got him to sign the back of my driver's license, which is weird, <laughs> but, and that's, st I've still got that somewhere. Uh, and yeah, it's, uh, I was talking to the bass player and the guitarist and what was the most interesting thing about it was that, um, I talked to him for about half an hour and I kept asking them like, oh, so, you know, tell us about the new album, you know, tell me more about you guys and what you're doing. Cause it's not very often you get a chance to like be in a very casual conversation with someone you really look up to and respect. And you know, they had nowhere to be. They had the whole night. We were just hanging out with them. It's, it was kind of crazy. It wasn't like they had to go anywhere. And, um, and they said uh, every time I'd ask them a question about them, they'd, they'd be really short with their responses. And it wasn't because they didn't want to talk. It was because they kept trying to like, stop me to asking questions about them so they could ask questions about us. They kept saying, no, no, who cares about like us? Like, this is your country. Tell us more about what's here. Like we, like, cause they were just fascinated to be in Australia and they wanted to know about our lives, where we come from, what we do and all this kind of stuff. Now I should be clear. This had nothing to do with the fact that I was in a band. They had no idea who we were, uh, but it was just the fact that we are people who have shown a lot of effort to come to their show. So they wanted to like get to know us more and stuff. And it was because of that night that I still now, like what, how many years later is like over 10 years later, consider them to be one of my favorite bands. And I will always, for the rest of my life, I will be an old man and still saying, yeah, I love that band because of the effort they put in to um, care about my life. They didn't have to do that, but I felt so special to them that night that I'm, they've got a, like a true fan for life. Absolutely. And it's crazy how 
the power of that. If you can just on a small level show that interest in people's lives, you're going to get true fans for life. That's just how it works because it doesn't take much time out of your day, but just showing an interest in their lives. Like I, I changed my whole approach to how I operated as a music artist. And the reason I think that we grew the loyal fan base that we did in my band was because I did that after every show I got off stage and whoever was still hanging around, like you can see them. They're kind of like looking at you through the corner of their eyes. Like see what you're up to. You don't just get off stage and go straight back to the green room or backstage. You come out the front. If you're at a bar, you go and get a drink or whatever. And you just see people and then be like, hey, I saw you in the crowd. Like, thanks so much for coming. And like, even if it's just five minutes, just get to talk to them and make sure that for every question they ask you, you ask two back about them. And I started finding that just as fun as performing because you're talking to the people who support your music. It's the most amazing thing ever. But most music artists aren't doing that. They're too busy just looking at the performance and then getting off stage and packing the van and then driving off. And it's like, you need to be thinking about getting to know your listeners. Cause if you can get to know them, they're going to stay around longer. And you, I, the amount of people that I talked to and got to know them and like cared about them and made a point of remembering their names to the best of my ability. Cause sometimes I just forget names. Do you get it where people like introduce themselves and they go, hi, I'm Jason. And then you're like, I immediately forget your name. Like, <laughs> so I'm some, sometimes like that, but I made a point of trying to, or at least remember things about them. Like, trying to find the most interesting thing out about their lives so you can like remember when you see them oh you're the person that you know rides motorbikes on a dirt track in your backyard or something weird like that um i'm just thinking because we did play a lot of country shows and there was one person that was like that i think anyway there was one guy who sold an amp to put on a show that we played at so i always remember that because he had to sell one of his like his music equipment to be able to get us to the show and i mean he made enough money back to buy it back but that's crazy commitment right so it's like trying to find things like that about people um but i'll tell you something on a side note a bit about that story that's not in my book uh the band when i was talking to them outside this is like one of my biggest what if moments they said to us they were like you guys have your license right i'm like yeah and they're like well, we're just staying in town is there anywhere around here that we can see koalas? Cause we were like in Sydney, I live a bit North of Sydney and they said, we didn't get to see him in Sydney and we've got a day off tomorrow. And then we're driving to, I think it was either Brisbane or Melbourne. So they were going in one direction or the other. And they were like, do you, is there anywhere around here that you can find koalas? And I was like, yeah, there actually is. There's a reserve called uh, Blackbutt Reserve, which is, you know, maybe 20 minutes from here. And they're like, do you know where that is? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can draw you a map. And they're like, would you, would you just want to take us? And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, like we've got a day off tomorrow. We've got nothing to do. We really want to go see koalas. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure at this place you can actually hold koalas. They'll let you do that. And they're like, oh, we've got to do that. It's so good. And they're like, if you've got a license, can you come and pick us up and like take us to look at koalas? And I was like, is this a dream? Like, this is one of my favorite bands and I'm getting to take him to go see Koalas the next day. And he's like, yeah. And they will ever, they were so keen for it. Like, yes, absolutely. And I'm like, wow, they have a lot of trust. <laughs> They're just like some guy they just met is capable of doing that. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd be more than happy to do that. And then, um, then they, they're like, cool, we'll just go tell our manager and let him know that that's what we're doing. And he comes back, he went away for a bit and then came out a little bit sad. And he's like, oh man, I'm so sorry. Uh, tomorrow we're actually going back to Sydney. Um, our day off is the day after and it, the day off will be in Sydney. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. But that's one of my biggest what if moments. What if I was able to take him around looking at koalas? That would have been so good. <laughs> I would have had an extra chapter for my book maybe. But anyway, talking about the way to implement that in your day-to-day as a music artist, like getting on stage and talking to people, doesn't matter if there's, I've talked to some people about this and they're like, yeah, but I only play to a few people. I don't want to seem like awkward going out after the set and like looking for people to talk to. 
And it's not about like forcing conversation. It's about being available so that if someone wants to come up to you, like they might just come up and say, hey, I just want to say great show tonight. And you'd be like, cool, thanks so much. And then like, so what's your name? Nice to meet you. Like, thanks for coming. Because the amount of people I did that for that you know the next time you play there, they're not just bringing one friend with them. They're bringing as many people as they know because they're your biggest raving fan. It's the quickest way to grow shows. Like country, uh, people in the country here in Australia are like some of the nicest and most genuine people people you'll ever meet. And other bands used to get like in Newcastle where I live used to be like, like, how do you guys pull such big numbers in the country and because it was because we'd play small shows there and because a lot of people just assume oh there's less people there so no one's going to come to shows so they don't play there at all but we would go and play those small shows and meet the people that come even if we played to 10 people and then you know be nice meet them and get to know them and really show a genuine interest and then they love you because you make genuine friends on the road and the next time you play there they bring all their friends and you meet them and they bring all their friends and soon you know it's like two or three shows uh, in a certain little country town and you've got nearly sell out shows there because people are just so supportive and they all like share your music around town and all that kind of thing so it's it's totally worth doing no matter if there's you know even if there's just one person that crowd thank them for being the one person that came like you know if you ever have a problem with introducing yourself uh it it might be to do with the fact that you need to build confidence to be able to go out there and talk to people but it also might be a little bit of a break of ego like oh you know it, it sometimes it's a bit like but i'm the music artist and you know they're fans but that's silly don't think about that because you are not above your audience if without them you're playing to empty rooms right so that's silly i actually had one guy who I told that to say he's going to give it a go. And he reported back and said he was playing to about 30 people a show. And he said, I went out after my set. Cause usually it's so easy to just pack your gear and just put it in the car and then like hang out by yourself. But if you go and be social and meet the people that come to your shows, big things can happen. And as he found out, he did that. And he said immediately, like from the, I think I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like the people he met um, are now raving fans of his that like immediately went home. They were emailing him saying, thanks so much for meeting me tonight. It really meant the world, like following up with him. Um, They were telling their friends, they were like, uh, they bought CDs, they bought extra merch because he just went and that's another big thing too. If you meet people on their way out, it's like reciprocity. It's like you give them something, which is your time and they want to pay you back. So they go and pick up a shirt on their way out because they're like i want to rep this artist now because i'm a fan of this so it's like you can make more merch sales by just being nicer it's kind of crazy how important niceness is spoiler alert that's actually one of the rules of that art of that article that podcast episode i'll be bringing out about the rules of life that i've found anyway so i've got something cool here from a book by brendan kane uh, it's called one million followers and it's called how i built a massive social following in 30 days it's pretty crazy this guy built a brand presence for himself in 30 days, uh, zero to a million followers by using Facebook paid ads and leveraging emerging markets and then taking that to Western media, which is like such an interesting um, method. A lot of people consider that if you if you advertise to cheaper countries where they're calling emerging markets, and I'm talking about um, Brazil, India, uh, Mexico, um, you know, where, where are some other ones? Um, yeah. Thailand, Vietnam, those type of places, Philippines, they're usually cheaper to advertise to. And then a lot of people will say, oh, you know, you're buying likes. You're not buying likes. You're putting an advertisement in front of the eyes of people in this, these countries. And they're real people. Like <laughs> these are real people. They're not bots. They choose to like your page or not. Um, yeah, Africa as well. I've been uh, testing the markets there and it's crazy. Uh, the 
people keep like yeah if if you're dismissing like advertising to those types of countries because you th- consider it buying likes it's like you need to reassess right these are real people that choose to like your page or not who's to say that someone who doesn't live in africa is better than someone that does the most it's like the country towns thing i talked about earlier some of the most genuine people in the world come from these countries right so I have been advertising my Facebook page to um, I've tested some ads out in Africa and the amount of people I've that are reaching out being like, Hey, here's my music. What do you think of this? And like, I get more of a response from Africa than I do advertising to the USA. Now I love everyone in the USA too. I've got lots of friends there, but Western countries, if that's right, I don't even know if I'm using that word right, but um, let's say the USA and you know, even places like Australia and um you know, England and that type of thing, they usually have this uh, distancing thing where they're like, uh, I'll, I'll look at your ad, but I won't interact with it. But, um, you know, emerging markets are much more involved and they're much more supportive. So that's why, you know, there are bands and artists that you could advertise and build a world tour in like uh, India, for example, and then go play India and play to thousands of people of like raving fans in India and stuff like that, because they just, they get, they get you back so much for supporting them. Let's talk about how much I see beatbox uh, culture grow. And it is huge overseas because you know, these people, like if any beatbox artist goes to say like D'Lo, who is one of the, he's a world, um, he's a GBB champion, went to the Philippines and he played this show to so many people because the Philippines, like they just were so happy that uh, people in the Philippines are like, he actually came out from England to the Philippines. This is our country. Like we've got to support him. So do it, right? The problem is a lot of people who just advertise to these countries, increase their likes, but then never leverage it against where you should leverage it, which is against media. Um, you know, cause they media care about numbers. So if you go to media and say, Hey, I've got this type of following, um, you know, run me in your online blog or magazine or whatever, or interview me or whatever. This is how Brandon Kane did it. He's actually a media strategist for, he's worked with people like Taylor Swift and Rihanna and, um, you know, people like that, Jason Statham. And also just for like MTV and all this type of things. But he wasn't a name for himself at all, but he just tried to use his own strategies to grow his page. And people have dismissed him because this is the thing, right? People dismiss this type of uh, approach by being like, oh, he just bought likes. No, he didn't because buying likes is different. That's buying fake likes or fake profiles uh, that don't exist. These are, he put ads out to emerging markets that uh, responded to his ad and he saw big growth because of it. And then it's because of that. He's now been on Ellen and stuff because like he's because that because I like, would would Ellen say would, would Ellen be interested in him if he didn't have that following? Probably not. Right. So now he's managed to get himself to that point. I mean, I think he was on Ellen. But anyway, he's done big things on TV shows and that type of thing. Uh, well, yeah, maybe I'm misremembering that. But um, he's definitely been on a lot of news channels. I know that one for sure. But anyway, he's got some uh, really, really cool strategies here that he talks about. Um, with, you know, his whole book's pretty good. It talks about Facebook advertising and that type of thing and how you can use it to grow a big following. But anyway, that's not really the point. I just want to give the book a bit of a shout out. But he uh, talks about in the very start of the book about what he learned from working with Taylor Swift. Now, I want you to, I'm going to read you a bit of it and I want you to try to listen for what's relevant based on what this episode is all about and hear the potential of, you know, caring about the individual lives of your listeners. Cause I mean, I'm not sure if you know, but Taylor Swift is amazing. I'm a big fan of hers. Don't really care much for her music. Not cause I don't like it. I just don't listen to it. It's cool. She's got good pop songs, but I care about the way she goes about marketing. Cause she, I, in my opinion is doing everything right. Um, it's really working for her too. She tests a lot of things too, which is really cool. Anyway, 
He says, the fascinating thing about Taylor is that she built her brand, music, and stardom herself. She started with a simple MySpace page where she built a platform that fostered a one-on-one connection with fans because she intuitively understood that this would accelerate her brand reach. She responded personally to each and every comment she received on that platform, and any time she would get a request for an autograph or photo, she would comply immediately. Like, that is just the paragraph before the part I wanted to get to, and it already shows you how important it is to care about the lives of your listeners. But this is the important part. Even like you think to yourself, oh, that's cool while you get started, but surely you couldn't do it at scale. But this is Taylor Swift we're talking about. Taylor once even did a 13-hour meet-and-greet session, which turned into 17 hours, where she personally signed autographs for and took selfies with 3,000 fans. She knew that every fan who stood in what every fan, every fan, sorry, who stood and waited in line to receive an autograph or photo would be a fan and brand advocate for life. Huh? These brand advocates would spread and share her music and message with all their friends. Even though Taylor ended up physically meeting only 3,000 people, she probably reached around 100,000 people that day. Each interaction she had was not limited to a single moment. Fans would not only tell their friends about it, but would also post images, autographs, and videos that they took at the event on their own social channels. The average Facebook user has 338 friends, so if each of her fans shared those images, she could potentially reach up to 1,014,000 people. Fans would go out and spread the word for her. They'd tell all their friends and social connections, I love Taylor Swift, or I just got this awesome photo or autograph. Taylor still makes time for events like this. She attends fans' birthday parties, weddings, and bridal showers. In 2014, she showed up at a bunch of fans' houses with Christmas gifts, and more than 18 million people viewed the videos of the Christmas gift deliveries. In 2017, she invited select groups of fans to her homes homes in London, Los Angeles, Nashville, and Rhode Island for listening parties of her sixth studio album, Reputation. These kinds of events are Taylor's ways of giving back to her fans while generating massive attention and interest. This works for her because she's genuine. She doesn't do this to manipulate the system. Not only is she smart, talented, and appreciative of her fans' time, she has a good heart. And it's this heart that has fostered her brand loyalty, which grows like wildfire. Do you know what I mean? Like every single thing I said in every paragraph had so much importance in it. If so, why it is so important to care about the lives of your listeners? 17 hours out of her day, a lot of people were like, that is not worth it. I remember actually not from this book itself, but I remember reading about that same signing and there were a lot of people in the industry going, why is that? Why would you do that much work? Like a lot of actual artists are like, I would never sit down for a meet and greet that long because, you know, meet and greets for them, even if they're just an hour is they're like, I'm done after an hour. She did for what, 17 hours it turned into? 3,000 people and she wouldn't have been like, sign photo next, sign photo next. She would have talked to everyone, got to know them because people are lined up for that many hours just to meet Taylor Swift. Like it's crazy to see how like how ready they are to do big, like to, to support her. And I mean, if they're sitting around for 17 hours, you bet they're going to share it to their social feed, right? So anyway, you do that and your fan base is going to absolutely explode. That's just how it works. Look at Taylor Swift. I mean, that's a good, wear that on a t-shirt. Look at Taylor Swift because whatever she's doing is working. Anyway, care about the lives of your listeners. Don't consider yourself above them because you're not. And uh, it can make really, really big things happen for your music. Anyway, love you guys. Talk to you.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the I Am Northbound podcast. You made it all the way to the end. I hope you loved it. Why not check out another episode? I'm sure you can find one right below wherever you found this one. But before you do, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. And it would mean the world to me if you could either leave a rating and a review for this podcast or share it out to your followers. That act of kindness goes so much further than you may think. It helps me help more music change the world.